disparity found in so many other reports. This is something that we all know, but since we are just days away from Father's Day and due to recent events where lives of our black men seem to be undervalued by others, we wanted to take an opportunity to honor our black fathers with a special edition here on Dear Sister. So I have joining us currently, um, let me see if I can unmute them. Yes, uh, joining us, uh, join us. <laughs> we have a couple of our guests. One is being uh, super dad right now. <laughs> He's at the field. <laughs> driving. He's <laughs> driving. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if we should tell people that part. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to be the best dad in the world, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna be good in a few seconds. I'm just I'm gonna pull over in a few seconds, okay, guys. I want to be a good example for everybody. Well, good. <laughs> we'll go ahead and start with Dr. Glenn. Then, um, Dr. Glenn, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, glad I'll to be here. Thank you. I'll share a little bit with our audience about who you are. Dr. Glenn is a psychiatrist here in the Metro Jackson area. Um, he is a principal owner of Rohobuth psychiatry services here in Ridgeland and he is a, to tell you a little bit more about him he is a graduate of Alcorn State University as well as he earned his medical degree from the University of Iowa College of Medicine he also completed his psychiatry residency at the Ohio State University Hospitals um, he's a member of several uh, professional and civic organizations. I won't even start with those. Um, it's a very long list. Uh, also, I forgot to mention that he's from Cleveland, Mississippi. He still does work uh, back in his hometown through a nonprofit that his brothers and sisters founded um, in dedication to their parents, the William and Essie Glenn Foundation. Um, he's very proud of that, I do know. Um, but one of the things that he is also most proud of is he is the father of four. Um, he has three sons and one daughter, kind of how I grew up with three brothers. Um, and so he is joining us, not just as someone who gives a perspective on uh, being a professional, medical professional, but also someone who is a father and a black man. So um, Dr. Glenn, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Glenn. Hi, you're welcome. Good to see you again. <laughs> also joining us at a later date is Pastor uh, Willie Tobias. Um, he'll be joining us, um, and I'll introduce him, or Kamisha will, uh, at a later later time. Um, all yours, Kamisha. Well, I take great pleasure in introducing our next guest, who I hope has finally pulled over. <laughs> and that is my husband, Mr. Gerald Mumford. He's an attorney. Um, he is also the Hines County prosecuting attorney. He's held that position since 2017 is when he was first elected. Uh, he is my law partner as well at Mumford & Mumford Law Firm, where we specialize in real estate and premises liability, personal injury matters. He's the father of two children, Garrison, who's seven, and Gianna Adele, who will be three next month and rules the roost. Um, <laughs> is a native of Jackson, Mississippi, by way of Clarksdale, Mississippi. He was born in Clarksdale, but moved here to Jackson when he was very young. So he went to school. I hear him always talking about Green Elementary and, of course, Callaway High School. 
Um, he also went to Southern University of Southern Mississippi where he received his undergraduate and graduate degree um, and then went on to Mississippi College School of Law, which is where we met. Wow, Kamisha, I'm going to have to pay you for that introduction. <laughs> she set you up just right, Brother Mom. <laughs> All right, well, we are uh, going to go ahead and move the show along. Uh, you heard the opening about the reports um, and what people, the misconception there is about Black fathers, um, and, but there are reports that are out here to support otherwise. Um, and so I guess we'll go ahead and get into some of the questions. Uh, I'll let Kamisha start. She had a lot of them and uh, I'll just fill in wherever I need to. <laughs> well, I thought it was good as we talk about, you know, we're leading up to Father's Day um, and I think it would be good for us to start the discussion about, you know, your parenting style as a father, as opposed to the, some of the things that your father um, did as you were a child. So how do each of you think that your current parenting style is different from that of your father's style? <laughs> uh, since the green light is on my head, I'll, I'll just start with saying that I'm way more patient and understanding than my father was. Uh, as my son prepares to go play baseball today, because we were driving on over here to go to play baseball. I can remember him being quite stern on us and we turned out okay. But I think these children today may need a little more talking to. They're much more advanced than we were. So I believe that talking to them uh, and not uh, fussing at them all the time is a good way to start. And I think that's a big difference from my uh, upbringing, although I love my father and happy Father's Day, Alexander Mumford. And I'm so glad he was a part of my life coming up because he's made me the man that I am along with my mother. All right. Okay, I guess I'm up. Let me, let me uh, first of all, say thank you all for, for having me. I'm very excited to be a part of this uh, um, podcast this um, afternoon. Um, if I may, before I talk about uh, parenting styles. I just want to uh, comment on the, the uh, information that you shared earlier regarding uh, studies that have shown that African-American fathers are much more involved with their children than the images we typically see uh, uh, in various media sources, as well as, you know, even among ourselves in terms of our conversation and how we perceive uh, African-American men as being involved with their, with their children. So that was some, some very encouraging uh, information and, and shows the importance of us uh, not letting others define who we are, but we define that for ourselves. Um, as far as parenting styles are concerned, I think I would, would say that I pretty closely approximate my uh, own father. He was kind of an easygoing, laid-back kind of guy, sort of quiet when he needed to be, but, you know, could be right there in the space holding up seriously when he when he needed to be uh, uh, as well. Uh, he was a soft-spoken uh, man, uh, not one who was very loud, uh, but um, but was quite, quite respected in, in our household. So uh, I, I think I tend to to have some of the same demeanor and I, I would say that my children would say the same. <laughs> and, and piggybacking off of that, we, we've been seeing and hearing about, especially in current times, how 
most black people are talking about when they are giving their children this talk about how to conduct themselves when they are stopped by police or, or law enforcement officers. Do each of you remember about when your parent gave you that talk? Um, and, and when did, did you give it to your children or when do you plan to, to give it to your children? Well, I, I, I'm probably a little little older than uh, Attorney Mumford, so uh, uh, I, I would say that I was pretty young. I can't remember the exact age, uh, but uh, you know, growing up in Cleveland, Mississippi, um, uh, in the um, early you know late '60s, early '70s, that you know we were on the heels of the civil rights uh, uh, movement at that particular time. There was still a lot of racial. Uh, tensions uh, in Mississippi and overtly uh, so uh, more so than I guess in some cases uh, today. So uh, very early on, you know, you, you kind of learn what the quote unquote social boundaries are. And there was always a very physical boundary in our town to kind of to uh, reinforce, you know, uh, uh, the fact that there was uh, some differences in, in, in our communities. There was a railroad track that ran down the middle of town, separated the white side of town from the black side of town. You don't go over that side of town. You don't get caught on that side of town at night. I mean, these were these were uh, conversations that that were being had very early on in my household. Uh, and I'm from a household of 11 children, and I'm number 10. So you can imagine my, my mother and father had plenty of uh, practice in terms of, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, emphasizing what are the social rules, if you will, you know, growing up in a southern uh, black town. So I heard those conversations uh, very early, very early on in regards to to uh, and it wasn't so much about about police interaction as it was community interaction, because, you, you know, at that particular time. Uh, uh, you just never knew who, uh, um, you know, was was about what uh, when it came to black and white interaction, I guess, in that sense. Uh, as a parent, um, I really did not start having those conversations uh, until, uh, you know, with directly, I guess you could say, and more overtly uh, with my children uh, until we started to see these murders taking place and they were being aired on television and you know uh, so it brought up conversation among us in the uh, 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 in the household and we started to talk about you know what those kind of uh, situations meant uh, 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 and the potential risk that are still out there for for all of us so you know you're on the one hand you're you're having the conversation trying to protect your children on the other hand you know I'm a black man too so, you know, I'm sort of having this conversation with myself uh, uh, as well. Uh, but um, uh, it's been several, several years that we've had direct talks. And I would say that they're ongoing talks because we're still seeing these issues and situations come about. Just yesterday, uh, I sent a text out to my children uh, in regards to using Siri on their iPhones in case they're stopped by a police officer, you know, um, have Siri record what's going on. So if something happens, we have some type of evidence to fall back on. Yeah. Mr. Mumford, is there anything you'd like to add to that? 
Oh, sure. I would like to add that because my mother was a part of the court system. Uh, I was constantly reminded about a lot of the mistakes people have made. She told us very early on to not argue with the police, just get home. And that's what I plan to tell my children. I plan to sit down with my son, especially, and watch these movies and watch the, you know, the matter that happened with George Floyd. He knows about it now. But there are all kind of movies. There are things like uh, uh, the When They See Us, uh, the, the matter involving the Central Park Five. You know, that kind of thing sends chills up my spine. Son, if you were, if you were at it, don't talk to the police. And I'm a prosecutor, but everybody has their constitutional rights. But what you saw in that movie is something that's very real. And it's something that we can experience today. And that was such a tragedy. And so we're going to have these conversations. We're going to have the conversations that, look, do not get into a court battle on the side of the road. All I want you to do is get home. If you get a ticket, say yes, sir, no, sir. If you get stopped, make sure your hands are at the 10 and 3 o'clock level. Don't say yes, sir, and no, sir, because I want my children to come home. And that's when I talk to other children and my mentoring. My thing is just get home. Don't tell these folks um, how much law you know. They're not interested. They're going home. There's some police officers. And there's certainly apprehension when you see those blue lights. There's no ticket that you need to be worried about so much that you won't, it, would, it should not bring you home. And that's what I encourage people to do. I encourage my children. I will encourage them. I encourage other young people to just make it home. This ticket, if it's bad, it'll get thrown out by the judge. So uh, I had that conversation very early on, traveling back and forth to Hattiesburg. I don't know how I wasn't stopped going the race I was going, but I'm thankful that I was able to make it through there and uh, be here today because I've had my interactions with police and we've made it through. But you, you know, your your comments, though, bring a, another um, uh, element into, into focus as well, and that is uh, even though we tell our children and we're thinking of this ourselves, undoubtedly, as black men, that we're not trying to have any confrontation. We're not trying to provoke anything. If we're if we have encounters with the uh, uh, authorities uh, uh, in any way, but the problem that we're seeing in society is that you have people who are, they got their hands up in ten at, at ten and two. They're they're not resisting and uh, you know uh, and and literally pleading for their lives. And it's almost as if the instruction to you know follow those norms as you pointed out uh don't matter it, you know i mean what what do we do with that that's another you know dynamic that's thrown into the equation here in yeah. the sense that you know people are not necessarily being confrontational with police officers and still they uh, potentially lose their lives oh absolutely dr glenn um you brought up another point um i was gonna say you know Kanisha mentioned the talk with your sons, but I, I, you know, nowadays we even have to have to talk with our daughters. Um, I think if I've been stopped and definitely uh, had some things happen that were questionable. Um, but, you know, I will never forget years ago, Chief Vance said something to me um, that made all the sense. And he said, you won't win on the side of the road with the police. Don't try, like Daryl said, has already alluded to, 
you know, don't try to hold court on the side of the road, just accept the ticket. And that was, that was really profound for me in terms of get the ticket and like, like, like y'all both have said, get home. Um, that's, that's the goal to get home. Um, and, but like Clyde has, I mean, Dr. Glenn has said, it's very unfortunate that oftentimes we've seen and all the videos that have been released now and, and, and we've gotten a chance to witness um, these things taking place is some of these people were very compliant. I think of Fidel Castile, um, who was very compliant. He was legally carrying a, a firearm um, and was life was taken, you know, right, right in front of his wife and children. So, you know, the thought of that just really puts things in and gives, I believe, a lot of people the nervousness um, that um, it shouldn't exist, but it does exist. And at the end of the day, you know, we want everyone to be safe and we want everyone to respect authority. Um, it just definitely changes the scenario now um, of, of the idea of being stopped. And when you see those blue lights, it, it definitely gives us a sense of anxiety. Um, I know, Clyde, your Dr. Glenn, your children are much older than Dr. and then um, Gerald's, I mean, Attorney Mumford's kids. Much and, older. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we got, and I, I, I'm glad we got someone who, who has adult children and someone who has toddlers almost, you know, young people. So, it, you know, I don't know, but we're, you happen to have the same conversation that your parents had to have with you. And that, I find that very interesting. Um, years ago, um, Dr. Glenn, the conversation your parents have had with you is a conversation that, you know, Kamisha and Dura have find themselves having, with, will possibly have with their children, you know, in the next five years, I imagine. Um, do y'all see anything changing or the conversation changing or will it you think it'll always be the same in terms of what your parents told you and what you told your your children dr glenn who are much older well i i, I certainly hope that uh, at some point uh, you know there will not be a need to have these converse uh, type of conversations uh but i think uh that's um you know, dependent to a great degree on the uh, type of uh, police officers that are hired uh, uh, on these various forces and, uh, you know, and whether or not the training that they receive is, is adequate and, and, and culturally sensitive. Um, you know, if, if these individuals can be better screened out, uh, I think those arguments are certainly being had today in terms of, you know, do we need better training or do we need better screening of individuals? You know, what exactly uh, is needed and necessary to somehow better filter out these uh, uh, particular uh, officers who are likely to use force as opposed to, you know, other means and that are available to them. Uh, so I can only hope and, 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 and pray that, that things will, in fact, change in that regard. One encouraging sign is that at least in society today, there seems to be a massive outcry of black, white, brown, <laughs> uh, and, and red, as well as uh, male and female, not only here in the United States, but around the world uh, for this these type of injustices and, and uh, particularly targeting of African-Americans uh, or uh, uh, people of African descent, you know, comes to, to, to a halt. Uh, so that's encouraging in and of itself. 
Um, but um, I, I would say that there is always going to be the likelihood that, you know, someone will um, uh, uh, take advantage of the position of authority that they have and use that uh, in, in a way that uh, uh, leads to harm for some, for some African-American individuals. I'll piggyback on what Dr. Glenn said. I certainly believe that uh, we'll be facing this in, in the next 20 years. But I'm so happy about society becoming aware of everything that's going on. People are feeling uh, your plight. Even Anja Mama is about to leave us pretty soon. I didn't realize that that label had been around for 130 years. It certainly goes back to slavery. So I okay. still think we'll be dealing with this 30 years from now, but I'm happy that these college players are having the voice. This week we saw Oklahoma State's football player tell his coach that, look, the wearing of that shirt you have is totally unacceptable. So we are being empowered by oh, yeah. acts like George Floyd and the murder over in Atlanta. These is, That's what these things are. These are murders. And I think that these people will be brought to justice. I believe that, that there's a public outcry. I believe Congress today has passed a bill. I think the Senate, that is the majority Republican, has tried to do something with regard to police reform and no-not warrant. So these things are going all the way to Washington. And so I think things will change. Society will change. But we'll still be dealing with this when my son is my age. Yeah, I, I think it's, 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 you know, important to have laws on the book that, that certainly provide protections. But uh, there also has to be some change of heart. <laughs> yeah. and, well, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, racism sort of comes from the core of an individual and, and it's, it's deeply seated ingrained uh, in the personality. So unless something changes that, you know, you still have risk, unfortunately. It was really encouraging to see. I saw several Facebook posts about where white mothers were stopping every time they saw a black male pulled over by a police officer. Wow. And I think that kind of goes to what you were saying, Dr. Glenn, when there was a change of hearts of other people. You know, she said, you know, I will wait here with your son, black mother, whoever you are, every time I see a black male stopped on the side of a road with the police officer. Yeah. Because yeah. my presence there is going to force them to make better decisions on how they treat these men. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Glenn, you said something about hate. You know, I believe that hate, and I think we all could agree to this, that hate is a learned behavior and that racism is something that's taught. Um, I remember when my oldest nephew, um, who's now 22, was maybe about eight or nine years old. Um, my parents were taking him back to his mom's house one Sunday and they stopped at a Walmart down um, in, in Loosedale. And uh, my dad had let, my mom was already in Walmart. My dad had let my nephew go in to use the bathroom and he came back outside running, crying. And my dad was like, what's wrong? And he said, this little boy, he said, this boy and his dad came in the bathroom and the little boy said, hey, look at that inward and my nephew just was offended even at that young age he was offended and that was his first time ever witnessing or doing something like you know hearing that he he knew that word was not was not a good word 
Um, and my dad was so livid. My mom had to calm him down because he was he was ready to see some bloodshed. Um, you know, with our kids having and seeing things like this at such a young age, um, I imagine now it's really the conversation I've heard Attorney Gerald say, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Attorney Mumford say, um, that he, in a few years, he's going to have this conversation, I guess, to talk, I guess, about driving. But it seems like now you would, you would start having these talks at even a child as young as eight or nine. I guess my parents must have thought they had time to, to talk to him about racism and people um, judging him by the color of his skin. Um, I guess my question is, for you, Dr. Glenn, would you do you see people as young? Um, and I know you do some adolescent uh, psychiatry. Do you see young people inside your practice who may have had dealt with racism in any type of way? And, and how did you handle that? Well, I've, I've definitely seen young people who have um, uh, encountered uh, racial issues. I wouldn't I wouldn't say so much at the, you know, uh, middle school, elementary, middle school level, but certainly high school and in college, uh, um, uh, those reports are a little bit more common among uh, younger people. Uh, typically, I'm not seeing them because of just the racial issue, but but it may be something that come up in conversation, you know, just uh, uh, through historical uh, uh, discussions in terms of things that they've encountered and what they may uh, have gone through. Uh, believe it or not, there are a lot of adults that I see who uh, encounter um, racial issues on on their jobs. Uh, um, frequently are, you know, depressed or suffering anxieties because they're still having to try and and function on that job and and you know and uh, do what's expected of them as far as the job uh, is concerned. But at the same time, you're dealing with these. Uh, racial undertones and issues that make doing the job that much more difficult uh, uh, for one to uh, to do. In addition to um, uh, you know worrying about safety and, and things of that sort, so adults are much more likely to, to talk about okay. uh, than than are uh, younger uh, individuals who may may be experiencing some racial issues as well. And, I, I, and sometimes you know younger people may not necessarily recognize it for what it is you you know what i'm saying they may not have have, have fully formalized that hey this is a clear racial issue as opposed to you know to viewing it in some other way so maturity comes into to to play uh uh, as well you know i was thinking with as uh, uh, attorney mumford was uh speaking um just uh, a few minutes ago in terms of of uh some of the experiences, and you mentioned that you had a nephew who who um, devastated by, uh, you know, being called the N word by by a young kid, and whether or not racism is something that that is taught versus just a part of the individual. My father once told us a, a, a story of when he was growing up. Uh, they were on a plantation, and uh, you know he was a kid, and the plantation owners and other, uh, you know, uh, workers there had children and all the children interacted and they played together. Okay. White and black, you know, they were just kids having fun. And he said that, uh, he found it kind of interesting that 
uh, this one particular uh, uh, Caucasian uh, kid that they uh, grew up with, when he turned 16, he wanted them to start calling him Mr. As opposed to, you know, just by uh, the first name. He was now Mr. George or Mr. Brown or, what, you know, whatever the, 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 the uh, name may have been. And I just found that so interesting, but it, it really is telling in terms of what kind of things are being taught in households at the mm-hmm. dinner table or whatever, as opposed to what is just there, you know, genetically there and hereditarily there in the individual. So I, I truly think race Racism is something that's taught and it's reinforced as opposed to simply being there. And you can watch kids interact with one another. They play, they, you know, they uh, uh, eat after one another, whatever the case may be, drink after one another. Uh, but, uh, you know, and they never have any thought about the color of the other uh, child that they're interacting with. You know, it's not until some adult makes a distinction and begins to, you know, teach um, these uh, racial differences that uh, the child starts to take on that that kind of belief. Yes. Um, I want to interrupt or pause really quick to bring on our other two guests. Uh, We have joining us now, um, Pastor Willie Tobias, who is with the pastor at Mount. um, I'm sorry, let me get that correct. He's the pastor at New Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. And also joining us is Dr. Terrence Ware um, of Terrence Ware Dentistry. Um, They should be coming in now. Welcome, guys. Hey, what's going on? Nothing much. Uh, I'll let Kamisha introduce you. Uh, She was so excited to do so. Well, I guess first I need to excuse Gerald. He has to get to his uh, baseball duties. We have a game tonight, so everybody wish Garrison his best tonight at the baseball game. But it gives me a great pleasure to introduce Dr. Terrence Ware. I have known him for a very, very long time because he happens to be married to my fabulous best friend, Miss Sandria Ware. Uh, they are the parents of two children, Mia, who is 16, yeah, that's correct. Uh, and Terrence Jacob, who is about to turn seven in a couple of months. Yeah. Um, they are very impressive parents. I've always been so proud, especially of little Mia, who I was, you know, we were very young when she was born, but she is an outstanding teenager. Um, and I'm just so happy that Terrence agreed to join us. Um, Pastor Tobias is also, um, one of those fathers who I'm proud to know and call a friend. Is he on yet? Yes, he's here. Uh, pastor Tobias is pastor of New Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church here in Jackson. He's married to Miss Monica Tobias, who's also a good friend of mine. Um, and uh, he's doing some great things in the community, and I'm so happy that he also agreed to join us today. I think he had to log out really quick. I think he called in on the wrong number or something. <laughs> so he's probably going to join us in a little bit. Um, but, uh, Dr. Ware, welcome. Um, well, I guess, uh, we'll ask you a couple of questions that we've already talked about with Dr. Glenn and with, um, attorney Mumford, who just had to leave to go to Garrison's baseball game. Um, one of the things we talked about already was 
you know, raising black kids and in what ways do you see your parenting style different from, from your dad's or your um, parents? Oh, there's Dr. Tavad. And so I just let him just be. Um, they're kids, especially like with COVID and all this kind of stuff. Even before then, I just let them be kids. I don't try to push them too much to do anything. Um, stuff they want to do, I, I, you know, I provide the avenue for them to do it. Um, you know, stuff that they have to learn how to do, like swimming and stuff like that. You got to learn how to do that because it's just, you know, that's that's support. It's the support in your life. So you got to learn how to do that. But most of the time, I'm kind of just, I think I'm a pretty chill dad when it comes to that. And my, my dad never raised his voice. I'll fuss sometimes. My dad really never, never raised his voice because he had a belt. And his belt worked really well. <laughs> I don't use mine as much. So I had to say more. Uh, he didn't have to say much because we knew what was coming behind him talking. If you didn't do whatever he said right then, you had a problem coming. So I have to repeat myself a little bit more than he did. But I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to reach my dad's status as being a good dad. 
I think I do pretty well. But if I was like, I tell my dad all the time, if I'm if I'm a third of the dad he was to me, then then I'll be satisfied. Oh wow, that's very complimentary. I'm sure. Pastor Tobias. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies, so much for uh, allowing me to participate in this conversation. Excuse my tardiness as well. I was rushing, trying to finish up a class. Good to see my brother. Uh, Terrence on here as well. But um, as it relates to my parenting style, uh, I am exactly like my dad. Uh, God rest his soul. My dad uh, transitioned uh, February of this year. He passed and uh, went on to be with the Lord. But uh, I, I, I too am like Terrence. My father was a Baptist uh, pastor for over 45 years. So grew up in the church, attended church every Sunday, midweek service. And basically, that uh, has a lot to do with who I am today. Uh, uh, I've been blessed to have three children. And as it relates to my parenting style, uh, I was afraid of my father because what my father said was gold. I mean, you didn't talk back. There was no walking off, stumping your feet, shaking your head, none of that. I mean, if you did that, you might as well consider yourself getting ready to go to the hospital. So uh, I had that I had that level of respect for my dad. Uh, as far as my children, I am more relaxed with them. Example being, with my daughters, we literally talk about anything, and uh, I probably talk more to my daughter about what's going on with her and her body than her than her mom does. And I appreciate that, and 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 I, and I uh, purposely do things like that because I want to make sure that my children are absolutely comfortable talking with me or talking to me about anything. I did not have that privilege with my dad. I'm 45 years old. Uh, as I stated earlier, he's transitioned and we get to have the talk. And, uh, you know, when I look back on how I was raised, that is one of the things that kind of bothered me about our relationship. Uh, those sensitive conversations, those sensitive subjects, uh, as it relates to maturing as a young boy, we did not have those conversations. The conversations about uh, dating, we had very little conversation about that. So I purposely make sure that I have uh, those sensitive conversations with my daughters uh, as well as my son because I want them to feel comfortable to talk to me about any and everything. As of now, that has been the case and I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, uh, I, I, I discipline them. Uh, not like my my parents or my father did. Uh, you know, they, they, they stuck to that scripture, spare the ride, spoil the child. Uh, so I don't necessarily uh, 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 spank or whoop them uh, as my parents did, but they know that uh, uh, there are some serious consequences to if, uh, them being disobedient or, or stepping out of line uh, based on how I have been doing it as of now knock on wood thanks be to god they have been doing well in school uh uh, uh daughter made a 30 on the act getting ready to go into her oh, senior wow. uh my baby girl is doing extremely well so and I, I contribute all that to how my father and my mother raised me well that's impressive congratulations to your daughter and and dr where your daughter is doing some great things even um as a high schooler she has a podcast, and uh, we have to get her on. Maybe we can get some tips from her, too. Uh, so, uh, I need to get some tips, too, from her. I get some tips, too. <laughs> okay. Like, whoa, how, how did you think of that? What, what did you say now? What? <laughs> she's, right. she's so great with words. Like, she has a mastery of the language. 
Uh, it's uncanny. Like, seriously. Uh, she can switch it over, man, and she'll just go into it. He was like, hold on, man. Where did this child come from? I had to ask her mom sometimes. Like, what? She definitely didn't get that from me. But uh, she can use that language, and she's so smart. I mean, like, seriously, this child is so smart. Uh, I bought her some, like, equipment, uh, some studio equipment, and she came out of the room with a podcast. That's exactly how it happened. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Okay. Um, really amazing, too. You know, we kind of started talking about these studies, the perception that Black fathers are not involved, but all four of our guests had fathers that were very involved in their lives. And mm-hmm. as we can see just from this conversation right now, they are all very involved in the lives of their children. Yeah, um, so I, it, it totally goes against what we see on TV shows and movies or social media. How do y'all think that, that those things impact how black families are really viewed? Um, because when we see movies or even sometimes in commercials, you know, and I notice these little things, you'll see the black mom is just there with her two little kids. But in a commercial that features a white parent, there's two parents. How do you think that affects the perception of the impact that black black fathers have on the lives of their children and their involvement? I think I think the um, you know the perception that media uh, portrays uh, of African American males in general, um, uh, as well as uh, the quote unquote absence of fatherhood, is uh, is, is certainly uh, detrimental to uh, with. I think really happens in African-American families. I mean, I grew up relatively small town, Cleveland, Mississippi, but I don't really remember any of my friends uh, not having a dad around, (laughs) you know, I mean, uh, they were, they were there. They were always uh, uh, involved. We played football or baseball or basketball, whatever was going on. There were dads around. I mean, you know, and you looked forward to to their commentaries taking place in the bleachers and things of things of that sort. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, there have been some positive black uh, uh, images of fathers on television. The Cosby Show, regardless of what you might think of Mr. Cosby, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the uh, Cosby Show was a very positive image uh, show. Uh, even going further back. Uh, with uh, good times, for instance, uh, it was a show about hard times and hard knocks, and some of those things may have been a bit, bit unrealistic. Uh, but the father was there; he was a part of their life daily, and he was actively trying to uh, provide for his family despite the, the uh, you know, the challenges that he was facing in society to do that. So. Uh, you know, there are positive images that clearly have been there, but there certainly are a number of negative uh, images uh, uh, as well. Uh, if I might uh, take just another moment to point out uh, 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 one in particular, I don't remember the names of these individuals, but you all may recall last year uh, to a year and a half ago, uh, there were two uh, 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 males who were uh, in the uh, uh, news one was a white male who had killed his family and another was a black male who had killed someone protecting his family okay and when they were portrayed on uh, on the media national news etc the the caucasian who had killed his own family was shown 
with this picture where he was like at a, a, a resort with his family, you know, and, and they were all having fun and loving on one another. Uh, whereas the black man who shot somebody as he was protecting his family from, from, from this aggressor, he was shown in handcuffs and in the, you know, that prison orange attire that they, they tend to uh, dress them out in. Now, when you think about the issues at hand there uh, uh, and what was happening, the black man was doing the honorable thing. He was actually trying to protect his family, but mm -hmm. he's betrayed in the media in a negative way. And I'm telling you, those images, they find their place in our brains and they, they, they help us shape uh, uh, you know, our attitudes and our perceptions about people uh, as well. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the media plays a major role uh, in, 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 you know, the images and the, the uh, perception that individuals develop about African-American males. Dr. Terrence, I mean, Dr. Ware or Pastor okay, Tobias, yeah, would y'all like to, to add? To piggyback on, on, on what Doc was saying there, it was actually absolutely true. So like I grew up in Indianola, another small town in the Delta uh, in the eighties and nineties. And just about everybody I knew had their dad in the house. Um, I really don't remember many families that did not have a father in the house. If they did not have a father in the house, there was always uncles around, always you know extended family. Um, even even people that you would consider, you know, people say that you know it may be poor people, poor people, or rich. It's not, it really didn't matter the socioeconomics of the families. Uh, there were always dads around. So. Um, that's something that just I just didn't see coming up. I can't say that other people have a different reality, but from where I'm from and what I where I sit, I don't I don't really see that much. Uh, I have a group of friends, you know. Of course, you know I've been I'm graduated from Mississippi School of Math and Science. I went to Tougaloo Gentry, so I've been around a bunch of different people, and just about all the men I know take care of the kids. So I don't I don't know where this image comes from. Um, also, uh, again, what he was saying uh, about um, what were you saying? Oh, imagery. Yeah, imagery. So, Im so imagery is everything, right? So, that's, if you look on the television, you look on Facebook, you look everywhere. Everything is about advertising, right? So, people, you know, every company spend billions of dollars every year on advertising. So, we obviously know because of that that imagery is important. So, um, it, I don't know what reason they have to paint us the way they do. Uh, maybe so they can do us like they do us and take from us what they take from us. Um, but, you know, uh, but it is absolutely true that images pay, uh, play a big difference in, in how we're perceived in, in, in the world. Pastor Tobias? Yeah, I uh, I agree with uh, my brother. I, I, I believe that uh, the media does a horrible job of portraying uh, African-American males. I just, I just believe that uh, because I, I agree with our brother's um, most of the people, most of the friends I had, uh, if their father was not at home, uh, they had a grandparent or, you know, they had someone who was being, come to the ball game, come to the football game to support them or what have you. But I also think that, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we already have so many things against us, uh, that if you have a, if you have a male, a black male who wears an earring, you know, he's already placed in a category of being no good, being a thug, he has a tattoo. So, so things of that nature, I think contribute 
to the idea that uh, that that men are, are are attached to being no good or not hardworking or not having a love for their family. But I just believe in my heart that most men, not all of them, but most men, I think, want to take care of their children and want to be able to provide for their families. I just believe that because there's something uh, God created within us to do those things. So, you know, you have a few that uh, fall in that uh, bad group of category, but I just believe that the average man wants to be there to uh, to be a blessing to their children. Absolutely. I think we all believe that too, um, Pastor. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time, and so I, I would like for you all to keep your comments pretty short, but I want to hear from all of you all about, you know, um, Terrence mentioned Emmett Hill, uh, which is something that many of us all know about and what that what that did and how it changed the conversations uh, with not just black people, I think people all around the world. Um, so going from Emmett Till to Trayvon Martin to now George Floyd or Richard, uh, Richard Brooks, um, where do we go from here? What 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 is it that you uh, and and I know you've had these conversations with your family with friends. Where do you see us going from here? Go ahead, Buckley. In regards to to where we go from here, as I mentioned earlier, I do think that uh, you know there is a reason to have some cautious optimism, uh, <clears throat> given the fact that we are seeing uh, worldwide. Um, you know, multi multi ethnic uh, involvement and a calling for justice, for fairness, for equality and equity. Uh, you know, uh, individuals that you would not expect to uh, emphasize that Black Lives Matter are actually doing so. So that's that's encouraging. Uh, and as I say, I'm cautiously encouraged uh, uh, because we have uh, seen in the past uh, uh, enthusiasm that. Uh, 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 seemingly uh, dissipated quite quickly, uh, i.e., after President Obama was elected. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm I'm cautious in regards to uh, what we're seeing uh, at this point. But I do think that that uh, we there is something different happening in the world at this point, and uh, and hopefully uh, because everyone's eyes have been open uh, to these injustices there will be, uh, you know, a righting of wrongs in regards to um, uh, laws that are on the books and um, uh, uh, a righting of wrongs in regards to individuals who are placed in these positions of authority, such as police officers, better screening, better training uh, um, of these individuals so that there are few of these kind of situations that take place in the future. Anyone else really uh, yeah. quickly? Okay. Well, I am cautiously optimistic, um, but uh, it's hard to, you know, like I said, my dad's generation went through the same thing and we live in such a microwave society um, that it's hard to uh, tell how the mood goes from minute to minute because um, everybody, you know, is on Facebook, Twitter, wherever. And so your mood changes with the new information. So. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, I think I, I, the biggest thing we need to do is get rid of uh, some of the elected officials that we have. I think we all know who, who I'm talking about. Uh, and we need to uh, make sure that people that, that's out there marching and whatever, make sure they're signing up to be voting uh, and make sure we're uh, making some real moves and holding our people accountable. 
that are in yeah, office. Open down not right. just and, uh, and you know, and somebody's in charge, and we need to hold whoever's in charge, hold them accountable. Uh, and we cannot have these police doing the same thing to my my kids' generation and getting away with it. So uh, we'll just see how it goes. I'm I'm gonna pray about it, and we're gonna we're gonna do it the best we can. All right, Pastor Bias, any last last minute remarks? Uh, last two things that I want to share. I think where we go from there here involves two things, education and participation. And I say that, I say that, uh, 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 with all seriousness, because some way, somehow we have to educate our people and our children that, that voting causes a change. But then when we have that education, we can fill some of these positions in order to cause that change to occur. That's that's where I'm. Uh, that's what I'm teaching and telling our people: education and participation. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, we are right at the one hour mark uh, for our show, and I want to thank you all so much for joining us. Also, would like to wish you all a happy Father's Day. Yeah. I would be thank remiss you. if I do not mention my own dad. Um, Willie James Kennedy Jr. Um, and wish him a happy Father's Day as well. Um, you know, I heard y'all talk about your dads and I know Kamisha definitely wants to talk about hers. Um, <laughs> but you know, when y'all talking about your dads and your upbringing, I definitely thought of mine and what my upbringing was like, you know, and, and I, if I had a few words to just describe my dad, it would definitely be a man, a strength, a provider, uh, someone who was very, very supportive of me. And, um, I guess I have him a little bit wrapped around my finger, even still at this age, I guess being his only daughter. Um, so uh, I, I, I'm excited about seeing him this weekend. Um, and uh, Kamisha? Oh, yes. I absolutely have to wish my papa bear, Mr. Reverend Sammy Brown in Canton, Mississippi, a happy Father's Day. I am the ultimate daddy's girl, and now I have a daddy's girl, and I am very sorry to my mother for all of the years of my taking away her husband, because now Gia has taken away mine. Um, (laughs) I think there is something when a woman is well-loved by her father, uh, she can make some good decisions about her mate, i.e. Gerald Mumford. That's how he came to be. Sammy Brown put that thing in motion. So happy Father's Day, Daddy. I love you so much. I know you're going to figure out how to watch this between now and Sunday. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> Mine too. Y'all, thank y'all so much for joining us. Again, uh, you can share with your friends and family. They can watch this again or listen to it on the womenforprogressradio.com. They also can find this video on the Facebook page, Women for Progress Facebook page. It also is available on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, iHeartRadio, um, as well as I, uh, Spreaker uh, radio app, too. So thank you all so Oh, and Spotify, too. So um, thank you all so much for joining us and um, taking time out your day. Uh, we hope you all have, again, a great Happy Father's Day weekend. And uh, we are signing off. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. But no, man, can you go sit down or where can you stop?
And so I just let them just be. Um, they're kids, especially like with COVID and all this kind of stuff. Even before then, I just let them be kids. I don't try to push them too much to do anything. Um, stuff they want to do, I, I, you know, I provide the avenue for them to do it. Um, you know, stuff that they have to learn how to do, like swimming and stuff like that. You got to learn how to do that because it's just, you know, that's that's support. It's the support in your life. So you got to learn how to do that. But most of the time, because they go to your dad when it comes to that. And my dad never raised his voice. I feel sometimes my dad really never, never raised his voice because he had a belt. And his belt worked really well. <laughs> I don't use mine as much. So anyway, uh, we was coming behind the topic. If you didn't do whatever he said right then, you had a problem coming. So I have to repeat myself a little bit more than he did. But I mean, I'm, I'm trying to 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 reach my dad's status as being a good dad. I think I do pretty well. But if I was like, I tell my dad all the time, if I'm if I'm a third of the dad he was to me, then then I'll be satisfied. Oh wow, that's very complimentary. I'm sure. Pastor Tobias. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies, so much for uh, allowing me to participate in this conversation. Excuse my tardiness as well. I was rushing, trying to finish up a class. Good to see my brother, uh, Terrence, on here as well. But um, as it relates to my parenting style, uh, I am exactly like my dad. Uh, God rest his soul. My dad uh, transitioned. Uh, February of this year, he passed and uh, went on to be with the Lord. But uh, I, 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 too, am like Terrence. My father was a Baptist uh, pastor for over 45 years. So grew up in the church, attended church every Sunday, midweek service. And basically that uh, has a lot to do with who I am today. Uh, uh, I've been blessed to have three children. And as it relates to my parenting style, uh, I was afraid of my father because what my father said was gold. I mean, you didn't talk back. There was no walking off, stumping your feet, shaking your head, none of that. I mean, if you did that, you might as well consider yourself getting ready to go to the hospital. Yes. So uh, I had that I had that level of respect for my dad. Uh, as far as my children, I am more relaxed with them. Example being with my daughters, we literally talk about anything. And uh, I probably talk more to my daughter about what's going on with her and her body than her than her mom does. And I appreciate that. And I, uh, like, I want to make sure that I, 